This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. New podcast today, guys, here on the Chris Williams Podcast. And this is exactly why I wanted to start this feed. I wanted to be able to bring really interesting people on and have really uh, difficult and enlightening discussions and that's what I did today with uh, a very influential pastor from my life his name is Pastor Scott Hibben I attended his church at the Ankeny United Methodist Church for three years Uh, he is currently retired Uh, we'll do all that intro here coming up but I thought it'd be a great time to bring him on as uh, I think a lot of people these days are kind of looking around and you start to question a lot of different things and um, sometimes you need some guidance and, uh, you know, personally for me, you even start to question faith and, and all that stuff. And I, I thought it would be a really good, uh, guy to bring on. And it, and it certainly was, this was one of my favorite things that I've ever recorded. And I think that, um, no matter where you're at with your faith or your politics or whatever, I think everybody can get something out of this. He's not, uh, this is not just, uh, Chris brought a pastor on to preach at us for an hour. This is a conversation between a very flawed individual, myself, and uh, and a leader of faith and who is a very likable guy as well. So here it is. uh, On Wednesday, June 10th, I sat down with Pastor Scott Hibben to, man, just talk about all of the crazy going on in the world right now. And later on in the podcast, I ask him about some of the quirky things that I'm interested in, like ghosts and aliens and all that fun stuff. Enjoy. Guys, I'm really excited about today's show, and it's one that I've been wanting to do for a while, and there was a a current event that really spurred me and and kind of moved me to push to do something like this about a week ago, and I want to welcome in a guy who, uh, Pastor Scott Hibman, now retired pastor, correct? Retired, yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations on that. (laughs) Yeah. You, uh, You were the pastor at the United Methodist Church in Ankeny for how many years? I was there just three years. Three years, okay. Yeah, yeah. But you made a profound impact on my life. Oh, okay. I, I don't know if I've ever that. told you that in appreciate person, that. but I really just appreciate the way that you spoke. Uh, you reached me very much so. I've become friends with your wife. Yeah. And I even found out that I knew your son in college. Yeah. And we take our dog to your, to your wife. <laughs> yes. <for that>. And <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so the world goes round and round. Anyways, um, I've just, you know, Pastor Scott, I... I I think that our world is in a really tumultuous spot right now. At least it seems like it. Uh, I'm 35. You have some years on me, but I, I don't remember any time like this in in my years growing up. I'm sure that there's some comparable stuff out there. Uh, maybe the 60s. I'm sure. Yeah, I think the 60s, 68. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, yeah, this is. I just feel like a very uh, eye-opening time right now um, with with race. And also religion. And I also think with um, the political polarization in our country and November coming around the corner, it just feels to me like there's a lot of conflicted people out there. And I know I'm one of them. And I just wanted to seek some advice from you today. Because here's the thing, um, Pastor Hibben, I know that when... I'll just be honest, um, when President Trump held up the Bible, um, when the protests were going on and they, they did that whole deal uh, a week ago, I, um, I saw a lot of people voicing the same things that have kind of been in my mind and my heart for a while. And I was like, okay, I want to have this conversation now. Mm-hmm. So um, thank you for taking the time to do this today. Yeah, yeah and, and I think what happened at uh, St. John Church a week ago last Monday um, even many of his supporters walked away with big question mark in their, in their head, partly because um, when you, you know, I, I have individuals, colleagues and so forth that I know who live in Washington, D.C., who were there at the plaza, and they were driven out by federal troops and the National Guard. It was a, priest, a peaceful protest. They were driven 
there was not a confrontation of any kind. They were driven out of the, the plaza area so that uh, President Trump could get to the church in his entourage. Um, and then just standing there with a Bible, holding it up in the air, not really saying anything other than, is this a Bible? Yes, it's a Bible. Is this your Bible? It's a Bible. Um, you know, really, what was his message and exactly who was he appealing to when he was really trespassing on um, because the St. John Episcopal Church didn't authorize him to do that as a backdrop? So, yeah, I think there are a lot of people who have just a big question mark, pro and anti-Trump people who just have a big question mark. What exactly was the purpose? What exactly was the message that he wanted to convey? Because it really was a mixed message in many ways. Full disclosure, uh, I, again, I like to be 100% honest with my audience. I was a John Kasich supporter oh, yeah. in 2016. I really, really liked him. Um, so I'm not this, <laughs> I'm not this polarizing left-wing um, guy. And, and neither am I. I'm, I'm a yeah. lifelong registered Republican who uh, is very dissatisfied with what I've seen happen in the Republican Party and um, and, and really torn. Um, because, it's you know, fascinating this, no, that you're, no, in same, you're in the same spot as me. Yeah, this November, I don't, you know, it's uh, last November. I wasn't, I'm not in love with Hillary. Um, this November, it's a, it's a, you know, I think one of the great uh, failures of both political parties is they have not been able to nominate uh, viable um, leading leadership-driven candidates, um, with the exception of maybe Obama. Whether you liked Obama or not, he 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 led. I would agree with that um, wholeheartedly. But you know, George W. was so-so, and I mean, just um, and, and his father was so-so. I mean, just. Um, it's been some time since we've really had strong leadership, left, right, middle, whatever direction you want to say, coming from president. So this is this is kind of where I'm at, and I wanted to see what the church would say about this. Not not necessarily not you're not speaking for the United Methodist Church. This is no. us having a conversation. But this is my frustration, and this is what I'm seeing a lot of people think too. So I grew up in the church, went to church every Sunday. Obviously, attended your church. Uh, we take our daughters. The The problem I'm starting to have, and I don't know if this is right or not, and this is why I want to ask you how I should deal with this. It's difficult to me, and, and, and when leaders of faith, when I watch them kind of weaponize the Bible, mm-hmm. is how I would refer to it. Yeah. And I feel like that happens now way more than it used to Maybe it's because I'm paying more attention. Maybe it's just because of the media landscape in our country and everything is so polarized, right? I just wish that I could see, like, when when that happens, that I would see more leaders of faith uh, denounce it, right? And I feel like, uh, I mean, I did a lot of research before I talked to you here, and uh, a member of our church, church actually matt urban i don't know if you know matt oh, sure yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's a really dear friend of mine he's been on this podcast he's a okay. microbiologist to our listeners he came on and talked to me about COVID 19 yeah so it was really interesting but he he kind of gave me some good stuff too it just seems like there's such a uh, strong affiliation between the republican party and just people of faith right I mean, any statistic shows you that so well, conservative people of faith okay fundamentalist people of faith. i i wouldn't even use you know, the media, unfortunately, grabs a hold of a term and runs with it, um, and that the term evangelical. I would consider myself an evangelical because evangelical means bearer of witness or witness of good news. Um, so I would consider myself an evangelical. I would not consider myself um, a fundamentalist, you know, religious right uh, person. Hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 as a person of, of the Christian faith, I really do believe that Christian faith is the answer to the problem of the world in which we live. Um, you know, so I, I, I will be evangelical about that. But I think you're right. I think what we we have done is uh, let a certain segment of the, the population weaponize this um, and become uh, controlled by certain political agendas. Um, and with political agendas comes power and position. And and therefore, you we, we end up where we're at today. Um, where people who are, are aligned with certain political agendas, left and right, no doubt, um, 
who've captivated their souls. I mean, I, I, I'm still struck by, you know, Billy Graham was known as the, you know, as the, the, the pastor to the, to the presidents, all the way back to yeah, Eisenhower yeah. and Truman, actually. Um, but when he got so close to Richard Nixon and Watergate, he said the greatest failure that he made in all of his years of ministry is they got too close. Um, you know, the power, the prestige, the position attracted even Billy Graham. And I think that's exactly what's happened to, to, to too many of us, left and right. Um, the, the Christian faith is there to, to have a prophetic voice, and a prophetic voice is a voice of protest. Um, you know, read the Old Testament. That's exactly what the, the, the prophets did, and, they, and, they, and the prophets were constantly involved in political agenda, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, and uh, what we've allowed ourselves to do is let that voice uh, be squelched because if I let my voice be raised, then I lose my economic, my political, my positional authority. Um, and there comes a great cost at that. Does it, um, does it concern you as a leader of faith that when you turn on the TV, you often see the in my opinion, Bible being weaponized, I believe that's what the president did last week. Does it concern you that it will lump us all into that category? Because I, I, yeah. I do get that. I, yeah. I, I can see how somebody who kind of believes in God but doesn't really know, and then they turn on the news and they see this quote-unquote Christian screaming, mm -hmm. and often the angriest guy or gal on the screen and it's a turnoff. Yeah, Phil Yancey, right? He'll tell, uh, he's a Christian writer from evangelical fundamentalist background, but uh, kind of gave up on his fundamentalism, and um, but still is evangelical. Tells the wonderful story of someone who told him about um, a uh, prostitute, and I think it was Chicago or something, who was pimping out her two-year-old daughter because she could make more money um, pimping out her daughter than she could make once a night than she could make all night long with uh, multiple Johns. And someone who was counseling her said, well, have you, you know, why are you doing this? She said, well, I need the money. And she had a drug addiction and so forth. And he said, well, have you ever thought about going to the church? And she just had this horrified look in her face and said, the church, why would I go to the church? I already feel bad enough about myself. And it's that, I think it is that attitude that we've allowed the church to become this oppressive, judgmental, uh, law-driven kind of entity instead of speaking of a gospel of grace where God empowers and equips and, and frees people up, we've allowed the, the law side of the, the, the faith to become the predominant um, voice, which judges, condemns, ridicules people. So it's no wonder that among um, millennials and Generation Z, we see a large outflow of, of young people who are no longer accepting faith. And we see that in the other populations, too. We, you know, the, the number of people who claim an active faith um, Christian faith, as well as Judas, uh, as well as uh, Jewish and uh, Muslim faith, the number of people in America who who, have, who believe in God in some form is decreasing, um, and and significantly among those who who are actively participating in church, temple, synagogue, whatever it may be, um, because institutional religion no longer speaks to their soul. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Now, a lot of one of the things that is always a, for a guy in my, um, I don't know, wherever I'm at on the political spectrum, I like to think I'm probably a little bit left of center is how I would describe it. Um, I get it thrown in my face a lot, when I, and I try not to talk politics with friends, but you know how it, it comes it's up. It's hard not to do now, <laughs> nowadays, yeah. And they'll always throw abortion at me. Mm -hmm. they'll, I mean, they'll, I, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've heard it. Um, I don't really like Donald Trump, and I wish he'd quit tweeting, but by God, he's... At least he's against abortion today. He hasn't always been, but he is at least what he says today, yeah. Um, you hear that, too? Oh, I hear that all the time, and, and, and I guess you know, I'm pro-life. As a pastor, I've counseled a number, a number of, of young women about whether or not to have abortion, and I celebrate the fact, I guess that none of the women that I counseled ever had an abortion. Um, they looked at alternative means, and we helped them work them through, the, the addition and so forth. But I think if you're going to be pro-life around the issue of the, about the conception of life, 
you need to be pro-life throughout the entirety. So I'm anti-capital punishment. Mm -hmm. I'm anti-euthanasia. Um, you know, I am I am in, uh, strongly in favor of justice ministries that takes the small two-year-old child, five-year-old, sixteen-year-old child, and gives them the the medical care and the and the education and the lifestyle and the family and the home that they need. If we're going to be pro-life, we need to be be pro-life about the entirety of life. From birth to both from conception to death, not just you know nine months before you're born, and then after that you're kind of jettisoned, and it's every man, woman, and child for himself. So I have a problem with some of the the pro-life agenda that only that segments mm -hmm. as opposed to the entirety. Because I think the gospel, I listen, I mean, listening to Jesus' words in the gospels, he speaks to the entirety of life, the sanctity of life in all stages. The adulterous woman who's thrown at his feet and he claims and embraces in spite of everyone else around him and so forth. Um, he claimed the entirety of the sanctity of life. He died for all people. So equal justice for all. It's not just with the color of your skin or your economic status or your power and position. And unfortunately, I think we've let uh, institutional religion be controlled by... Uh, some voices that only want that want to segment it and want to say only mm -hmm. these people or this set of, this set of people is of more value than someone else because they have the political voice or whatever. I'm reminded of a piece that I read. Um, actually, this is another one that Matt shared with me back in the day, but um, back around Christmas time, where immigration was really at the top of everybody's minds. We yeah. we had the situation where the you know the videos and the photos would emerge of these families in cages and, and mm -hmm. whatnot. And there yeah. was a, there was a church that put the nativity scene in a cage mm -hmm. to represent. Yeah, I think I saw something like that. It was a, it was a powerful statement um, by this church. I believe it was on the East coast mm -hmm. to make a stance about their beliefs on how, you know, that our, our country was dealing with it at the time. Well, Jesus and his parents, Mary and Joseph, were refugees. Mm -hmm. They, for political reasons, because the king wanted to kill them, uh, for political reasons, they fled their home country to another country as refugees, stayed in Egypt um, for approximately seven years, three to seven years. There's a lot of debate about what that is. And then returned back illegally into their country and snuck back into to, to, uh, to, uh, to Israel, to Judea. Um, so, I mean, Jesus was living as a political refugee, exactly what we, we had in, we've had in the situation on, the, on our southern border. Um, so, yeah, so a church puts the nativity in a, in a cage because it is a political statement. It is a political issue that's going on here. Yeah, I just, the, the hard part for me, uh, and, and this is where I just wrestle with it, and my wife's been a good influence on me, as most wives are. I just, it's... It has nothing to do with my church that, that we go to. I love that church. Yeah. I'm just the type of guy who I'm probably always trying to fight a bigger fight than I should. <laughs> well, but who, who, put that, who put that seed in you? I mean, as a person of faith, I would say that's not, that's not something that necessarily uh, was original with you. I think that's the seed of God. When God puts discomfort in us, mm. When you and I see some injustice taking place in this world, when we see human beings who aren't being treated fairly and so forth, whether it be the Black Lives Matter situation today or a small child or a homeless person or any kind of thing, hope refugee, what else, that discomfort that each of us feels in our souls, I think really is part of the gift of the Holy Spirit at work on a tugging in us saying, somebody ought to do something. Well, I guess maybe I ought to be somebody. That's, yeah. um, I appreciate that. That makes me feel better. I, I just... It's hard for me to, like, I, now that I have a five-year-old, you, you, you're constantly trying to teach them how to talk to other people, right? And, and worried about what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and an instance last weekend where um, another kid wasn't very nice to my daughter, and I watched how she reacted, and then we talked about it, and how do you, how do you want to react in a situation like that? And, and I watched our, the leader of the free world, and... I don't know, like, I feel like there should be this more um, condemning of it from, uh, I'll put it this way, he, the way he talks to people and about people is the total opposite of what we teach our children every day. Yeah. So how can, the, how can these powerful churches 
support that is the problem I have when I walk into an a institution of faith. I don't think that my faith has ever wavered. In fact, it's probably stronger than ever. But what I find myself questioning these days that I never did five years ago is the organized aspect of it. Well, and, and what form of organized religion? Because the, the, the moderate and progressive churches of today are very much against Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, so it's not institutional religion as such, but we have these, Good point. We, have these point. we have these various, various positions. I mean, I would agree. Like I said, I'm a lifelong Republican and I am a financial, a fiscally, a fiscal, fiscal conservative and a social moderate. Um, that's where I am. And, and so, you know, right, being raised in, in a Republican environment in Northwest Iowa, you know, that's where I came from. But I don't see anything Christ-like about the behavior of Donald Trump, the way he treats people. His very basic philosophy in the art of the deal, he says this, and he says this continually, is to divide people and pit people against each other and then to swoop in and take the advantages that happen from that. That's not, that's not, I don't, that's not Christ-like. Christ-like, Jesus was one, someone who brought people together. And I don't think that is an even necessary conservative agenda. If someone wants to be a conservative, by all means be conservative. But don't put, but don't put the label Christian in front of that. Um, Ronald Reagan was a conservative, um, but he also was someone who brought people together. That was, I mean, that's a no great doubt. claim of, Donald, of Ronald Reagan. I mean, uh, Tip O'Neill and Ted Kennedy were as liberal as you could get, and yet they were, they were chums with Ronald Reagan. Everybody loved each other because they, they worked together. They, you know, so Reagan was about bringing people together. Or when his, uh, you know, with Gorbachev and so forth, he was, um, he was about bringing people together. So you can be a conservative and not be confrontational in the sense of divisive. Um, that's not what we're seeing going on today. We're seeing a, a, a president of the, of the free world, not just of the United States, being divisive um, to the point that it's causing all, all of us to feel our souls are being torn into pieces and we don't know what to do and what to believe. Do you think it's possible in 2020 to have that cohesion like you, like you speak of with Reagan or are we just too far past it with the social media and... Yeah, I think you know, Donald Trump is not the problem. He's the symptom of the problem. It, it goes deeper to him because we've seen this happen before. Um, and it's all about, and again, I think it's all about political forces, right and left, vying for power and position. Um, so they'll do anything to stay elected. They'll stay in, do anything to stay in Congress or the presidency no or, doubt. or the you know, governorship or whatever, you know, legislature, or whatever else. It's about power and position. Until we, have, uh, until we have political leaders who are no longer politicians but statesmen and women, um, who really look at the, what's best for the country? Uh, I think we're we're in hot, you know. But uh, but that also that also puts responsibility on us as voters yeah. to get involved and not just say, well, it doesn't matter who I vote for because I'll all do what they want to do. We need to get involved because every democracy depends on an involved voting uh, voting populace. And, and if we just abdicate that responsibility to someone else, well, then we get what we deserve. I read it, one of the most profound books I've ever read. I'm curious, I don't know if you've, if you, God's Politics by Jim Wallace. Yeah, it came out, this is when I was in college. Uh, it had to be around 2005 yeah. or so when I read this book. Um, the title of it is Why the Right Gets It Wrong and the Left Doesn't Get It. Yeah. And it, it was very profound to me. Um, and I... Again, that was 15 years ago, but it screams to me as a guy who kind of feels like he's just in the middle all the time. I actually wrote a column, but I never had anywhere to publish it because I'm a sports guy and I'm not supposed to talk about politics. Yeah. But I wrote it, um, it was probably a year after, the, it was probably in 2017, and it, and it was titled The Death of the Moderate, just about how I just felt like there was no place for me. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus were here, like, what would he... I mean, Jesus doesn't have to pick a side. I, I get all that, and I get the yeah. biblical sense of it, but where would he land right now? That's a good question, because I don't know where he would <laughs> land either. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know, but I, I think it's just... Because, I mean, the, the accusation that's made against the uh, Democratic Party in general and, 
and uh, the extreme left in, in particular, is that they're all, all a bunch of atheists, that they don't have faith. Correct. Um, so that's and, a problem And universalism and everything else. And, yeah. and I, I, certainly, <laughs> I, I certainly don't feel comfortable endorsing that. Um, so as a moderate myself, I begin to say, well, gee, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the, the primary system in our country emphasizes extremes. it's an extremist approach so whoever wins the primary I mean look at the 2016 uh, we had what 14 Republican candidates this year we had 22 4 something like Democratic candidates the moderates are quickly (laughs) weeded out because it's the extremist voices that you know and the extremist you know agenda um, are the ones who get nominated for the the position and then who do you have to vote for Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Biden has a history of being a moderate, but he also has done some strange, oh, you know, sometimes how he's veers from that. So I don't, uh, this, uh, this next several months will be uh, interesting and probably torturous. I actually, uh, no doubt about that. I was actually surprised that Biden got the nomination only in the sense that I thought that Trump being so far would really push the other side to go even farther left. Yeah, the guy. Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders yeah. kind of, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of my prediction, but I, I was wrong. Well, Obama and Clinton both were elected because uh, they played the, the centrist role. Yep. And, um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Okay, um, real quick, I want to talk about race because this is the other thing that is yeah. just, uh, as a guy who talks for two hours on the radio every day, it's a really... Uh, I don't know if I've ever been more just like mentally exhausted because oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you, I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a white guy from Southwest Iowa. I, I don't have the type of background that I feel like I need to have to be mm-hmm. commenting on all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it's my job and uh, you try and do the right thing. But I just like what, so I would ask you as my pastor, what, what does the Bible tell us about, race and what in just the interpretation on what's going on right now in our country well for god so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everything else in life i mean the bible the bible while um in certain segments of the old testament surrounding the jewish faith uh, and the jews in particular um emphasizes these you know these are the chosen people this is the way god these are the ones that god is going to work through they're also the light to the Gentiles. I mean, read the book of Isaiah and so forth. So ultimately, Old Testament and New Testament, God's objective is to bring creation back in relationship with him. And every person is, is part of God's creation. So red or yellow, black and white, Jesus, they are all precious in the sight, you know, the, the Sunday school song. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, th- this idea that, that somehow we are better than someone else. I mean, I'm reading a, a book to, uh, right now about... Uh, the American Civil War and all that led up to it. And of course, how we, you know, African Americans are only a value, three fifths value as opposed to white Americans. And of course, men were more valuable than women. And we, you know, we've put, you know, and if you have property owners versus non-property owners and so forth, we've played that game for so many years. In other words, we've missed the point because that's not biblical. Uh, that's not biblical at all. Um, so as a, as a person of faith, um, you know, I would have to, I would have to, confront anyone who would say anything less than that. I remember uh, I started a church uh, several years ago over in Pleasant Hill, um, and there was a, uh, you know, we are at that stage of just looking at any, any live body we, we grabbed a hold of because we were just starting out and so forth. And there was this uh, young guy with uh, his family and so forth, and um, another family happened to bring an African-American young student, college student with them one Sunday and he turned to me and said, if we're going to allow those people in this church, I'm not going to be part of this church. Wow. And I had to confront him and said, well, it's been great to know you, but, you know. Um, but that, I mean, that's the attitude that some people have that uh, um, you know, certain people, whether it be oftentimes around race, um, are of less value. Um, How much diversity was there during biblical times? Like, I mean, you know, we've got all these authors of the Bible. They all wrote their chapters and stuff, books. Whatever. Yeah. But how much diversity was there at the time back in the Middle East when these guys are 
Well, there, there, there was a lot more diversity than what we, we think. And we tend to think, you know, ancients, they didn't travel far. They traveled all over the world, I mean, commerce and so forth. In the Old Testament, we have stories, the Queen of Sheba, who probably was African, you know, so forth. One of the wise men, some people say, was, was, an, was a person of color. Um, they have actually, all three of them would have been persons of color if they were from the, the, the Near that's, East. That's what I've always thought, yeah. 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 And all, all the Jews would have been people of, you know, shades of color. I mean, so, I mean, there, there's all kinds of information that uh, uh, says that there was much more diversity and of course the Hellenistic world, Jew, uh, Greeks and Romans versus the Jews and so forth and the mixing things. It was a cosmopolitan world. That's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul is so effective because he, even though he was a Jew, he is a Roman citizen and so he could reach both worlds and you know, he says, I become all things to all people in order to win some for, to Christ. Um, that diversity is, is a key element of the Christian faith. Um, the Jewish church the church in Jerusalem, which was only of Jews, died out. It was the Gentile church, which, which is the church of diversity, mm-hmm. of ages and st- stages and economic classes and colors and races and so forth. That's the church that, that continued to live and thrive, and that's the church we're a part of today. It's the church of diversity. Do you ever think, like, with everything that's going on in the world and then guys like me badgering you, do you ever want to make, like, a comeback tour? <laughs> do some... Because, like, for me... <laughs> Is a, doing what I do, like if, if I would quit covering Iowa State and then all of a sudden there was a coaching change, I'd be like, ah, oh, I got to get back yeah, in yeah. the game. Like right now, I mean, this is a great time to mm-hmm. preach, right? I think, I think that God has given us an opportunity with the COVID situation and uh, with, of course, with this whole race issue, which has become a world issue, not just an American issue and so forth. God has given us a great opportunity. I don't think God caused COVID. I don't think God caused the racial issues. That's a whole other issue. But I do believe that God gives us opportunities in the turmoil to speak the word more clearly. Um, I, I've been struck by you know, my wife and I go out for walks every evening and the number of people we talk with on our walks and so people we know and people we don't know and our neighbors and so forth. I've been struck by the number of people who were marginal people of faith, even some agnostics and atheists, let alone people of faith, who are asking critical questions of faith today that they did not ask uh, six months ago. People are asking, they're searching, they're wondering. And we have a limited opportunity as, as people of faith to speak that message because people, you don't have to, you don't have to approach them, they approach you. It's kind of like what happened after 9-11. Mm. We, had a, we had a window of about four to six weeks. And some churches were able to speak to that and address that window, I think we did at the church that I was serving at that time. Other churches just missed the opportunity. So when I hear churches today saying we can hardly wait to get back to normal, which is to say people back in the, in the pews, I think you're missing the point. There will never be normal again. Uh, we, are, we have to find a new normal. We have to find new ways to address our, 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 our audience and identify who is in our audience. Um, otherwise, uh, if we go back to normal, then we're just going to continue the downward trend. Well, that does make me feel better that you say that because I've been thinking about this for a few months and reaching out to you and um, the fact that other people are having the same thoughts. I hope that just listening to us talk, maybe it can spur something for somebody else and get their mind going a little bit. That, yeah. was, that was kind of the goal here. Yeah, and I just, I think people, you know, don't accept one voice. Listen to multiple voices. And sometimes we let the media or sometimes we let our neighbor or Facebook or social media or whatever else um, dominate, be dominated by one voice. There are other voices out there. Find a voice that speaks to your soul. Find a voice that resonates with where you're at and, 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 and begin to nurture that as opposed to just feeling like you're sequestered off by yourself, quarantined not just by COVID-19, but quarantined by the voices of the, that you know, be bantering in the world today. Okay. Let's do, I got a couple other topics. Okay. These are more fun. These are a lot okay. light. They're not as light. The, the, thir- they're, they're the 30 light. second fire kind of. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we got time. Uh, do you need, do you got to go anywhere? No, no. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're, we're good then. I'm good for a while. Okay. Um, I want to talk about science mm-hmm. a little bit because this is another, now it seems like a decade ago where we were talking about global warming all the time, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of on the back page now. It seems like the um, left is like very pro-science these days where the right gets construed as very almost anti-science. Like Mm. when I say that, like the word faith and science don't really coexist to some people. 
I was talking to my wife about this because she's a veterinarian. She's very scientific, but yeah. she's also very faithful too. Yeah. What kind of a relationship is there between science and faith? Like, hey, did I characterize that okay? Yeah, I think it's It seems like they're at odds, I guess is the way I would Well, they it. don't have to be at odds. It's interesting that a majority of the people who are identified as scientists today are people of faith. We have this idea that a, that a scientist is a person who's not a person of faith, but that's, yeah. that's contrary to reality. Um, you know, I believe, I'll tell you, I believe the universe is 13, probably 13.7 billion years of old, old, that the, the earth is 4.5 billion years old. Um, I believe in evolution in some forms, um, but I believe the, the Bible is correct when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, whether God took six days to do that, or six billion years, or 13 billion, I don't care, because the issue is the issue of the sovereignty of God, that God can choose to choose, create the world in any way he wants to, or, and continue to master the world in any way he wants to. The problem is that some people, it, it really, you really resort to an issue of interpretation of Scripture. Um, people on the left and people on the right, people of faith, all hold to the authority of Scripture. Scripture is the authority. Um, for Protestants, and I think for Roman Catholics too. Um, the question is interpretation and how you approach the Bible and how you interpret it. For some people on the right, um, literalist, it's a literal six days and so forth. So if it's a literal six days because that's the way they interpret Scripture, then I have to discount something else. That means I discount science and, and global warming and I become vac- anti-vaxxer and all these other things. That, <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that Because I discount the... Even though I have a cell phone and I live by science every single day, I discount it in other areas of my life. I don't think you have to do that. In fact, I think that's the opposite of what you need to do. As a Wesleyan Christian, John Wesley was the the founder of Methodism, um, and I'm a Methodist. Um, He had what was called the quadrilateral. Scripture is primary, but you also experience reason and tradition. You know, God gave us a brain. Use it. And I think God gave us science. Because look at all the healing that takes place. Yeah, absolutely. And look, and look at how our lives become better and how we can, how we be, how, how we can feed people. You know, the, the three global uh, green revolutions that have taken place and the billions of people that we've fed through the, glo- the, the green revolution and so forth. God gives us those gifts, the, the brains to think. Then use it. Don't discount it. Um, so, you know, I, I, as a person of faith, I was raised, my dad was a high school a science teacher, vocational agriculture teacher. I went to Iowa State and majored in animal science for a while and biology and so forth. I'm a person of science, and I see, mm. I see no contradiction between science and faith. Scott Peck, who wrote the book uh, The Road Less Traveled back in the 70s or 80s, where else, was one of the first to begin to talk, and he approaches it as a psychiatrist, about how we bridge science and faith. Science and faith were not adversaries of each other until the 17th and 18th century when people like Feuerbach and others, um, Immanuel Kant and so forth, began to make this division and and split the two between the two of each other. It was, you know, so that division of adversary relationship between science and faith really is a rather more modern kind of experience, and it doesn't have to be there um, because over history it hasn't been there. One of the things I'm getting from you I have two things I'm taking away from this. One, I think I've, I've been pretty accurate on over the years where I just think we need more. There's, there's a lot of gray area in everything. It just doesn't feel like we have, we're in a world where there's much gray area. Like it, you, you kind of feel like you have to fit into a box. I think, yeah, I think you're, you're forced to choose sides. Yes. Mm-hmm. Two, we need better people of faith on television and stepping up and, you know, really owning that. Because a lot of the, yeah. you know, just or, or, in general. Or we, or we need to select those. I mean. Maybe better isn't the right word, but I don't feel like they're representing it accurately. I mean, you get people like Timothy Keller, who goes into New York City, who comes out of a Calvinist reform tradition, uh, who goes into New York City, uh, uh, notorious as for being anti-faith, and, and starts a church, and, and the church blossoms because he's willing to engage these issues on a, on a thinking basis but also as a person of deep faith, or N.T. Wright, or you know, from our United Methodist tradition, people like Adam Hamilton in Kansas City and so forth, who are willing to say, here's side A, and here's side B, and here's what both of them are saying, but here's where I am. And usually it's somewhere in the middle, that there's truth on both sides, yeah. and, the truth, and, and the ultimate truth is probably in the middle some way. And that's part of a Wesleyan tradition. It's called Via Media that says... Um, 
both sides have something to say. We need to listen to both sides. Is there any like uh, literature or anything you would recommend for somebody like me who's kind of in this crosshairs right now? Well, I think Adam Hamilton because, you know, Adam Hamilton and Adam Hamilton Church of the Resurrection down in Leewood, Kansas. Uh, It's a suburb of Kansas City. I think he's a great resource. I think N.T. Wright, I think Timothy Keller, all those guys are, you know, are good um, because they 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 approach their people of deep faith. But they also used, you know, a rational uh, process to begin to say, let's talk about this. Let's look at the details. Okay, I got two. These are my audience will laugh at these, but I I really want to ask you about them. So (laughs) I'm going to do it. I want to talk to you about aliens. And I want to talk to you about paranormal. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm a geek. Okay. I watch the history channel, the sci-fi okay. stuff. Yeah. Um, I've been watching this one. It's called the secret of skinwalker ranch. I don't know if you've ever heard no, of it. I haven't heard of it. <laughs> you, you should really watch it. It'll, it'll change your life. Um, it, okay. If, if we discovered aliens, which I believe that they've probably already been here, but the government's covering it up. Okay. I'm going to get loony on you. <laughs> okay. How did, would that change anything? Like as far as the, like God and, you know, faith and all that stuff, how would we, how would that affect it? If all of a sudden, you know, you and I are sitting here doing a podcast and in a spaceship came down here at Prairie Trail in Ankeny and we saw aliens walk out of it. Like what, does that change anything? I think it's pretty arrogant for us to assume that uh, we're the only living, breathing, or whatever it, it might be, entity in the universe. I mean, if the universe is, is composed of billions of galaxies, which astrophysicists tell it it is, um, chances are out there somewhere there's something that might be alive. I mean, we even have strong evidence today that there might be some very primitive organism still on Mars today. Because we know yeah, that Mar- that's true. Mars yeah. used to have an atmosphere. Mm-hmm. We know there's water on it. And, and, and so, you know, on Mars and some of the other planets, there's some indications that, you know, they're, they're, organized. they're, not, they're not necessarily on our level. Um, but, you know, so to think that out there somewhere, in one, there might be a, a, a life. And I didn't even know if the word life is appropriate because it might not be what we understand life to be. But I'll use that term for lack of anything else, that there might be life out there. I don't see any problem with it um, because it, the, the point still is God is still God yeah, and, and you and I are still us and we're still part of the, and Jesus still died on the cross for, I mean, that doesn't change any of those things. Yeah. It's like if God created it uh, in, and as you already spoke about, it took however long for him to do so. He wasn't necessarily like whispering to <laughs> Matthew and Mark, Hey, you know, when you write your scripture, you, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, well, like, how would they know? First John 4 says that, you know, 410 <laughs> says that God is love. Isn't the essence of love life-giving? I mean, if, if you love, it's impossible not to love, but there's not another thing or another one to love. So if the essence of God is love, then God is life-giving. So God is giving life here. I imagine a creator who likes, who just enjoys going around creating life yeah. all over the place and so forth. So no, I mean, I, I don't see where that's a, a violation. That doesn't mean he loves you me less. It would be like saying, you know, an only child and suddenly the parents have a second child. Oh my gosh, they love me less now. No, that's not how, that's an, you don't quantify love. That so way. if, um, I have a feeling if aliens would show up, like people would probably be scared. Probably. Because we're human beings and this is not normal to us and um, whatever. And you had to do a sermon then, like, would you say be kind to these creatures that just show up? Like, because I assume most people would want to, like, shoot them, right? And the, we're I have, terrified. I, I, I have visions on <laughs> 1950s B movie in my mind. <laughs> you know. Um, like, would we just, like, open our arms to these creatures? You know, I, I think that, you know, whether it be E.T. or some other movie, something like that, you know, Close Encounters of the Kind or something, um, if they came, if aliens existed and if they came to us... Because they are God's creatures, they're, right? They're coming to us for a reason. I guess we need to determine what that is, that good or bad or benevolent <laughs> or, or something at less. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's one of those things we'd have to kind of... Uh, the first response would be necessary. Independence Day, we got to <laughs> I'm telling nuke you, them or something. I feel yeah. like I know human beings enough that that's probably what everybody would think. But yeah, and of course, and of course, there's the real possibility that at least uh, with if there are other life forms out there, um, that maybe we might be more advanced than they are. Yeah. So the other side of the coin is if and when 
you know, we go to Mars, for instance, and we find yeah. something, or wherever it might be, you know, millennia from now, um, how will we respond? Will we create a slave to make them slaves because they're less than us? I mean, some of the early questions that we we're asking so far. Um, so, it, I mean, the question goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Just how will we respond to aliens, but how will the aliens respond to us both ways? Okay, so there's, I mean, I don't know how many people have claimed to have an experience with a ghost mm. over the, you know, history of Earth. Yeah. I mean, there's actually, I mean, unless it's doctored up video, there's weird stuff that we catch all the time. Sure. It's like, a, do you believe in ghosts? I guess I'll put it that way. Do you believe that I, there are spirits that are uh, lingering around here? I think you'd have to define what you mean by ghost. Okay. Um, I'll just give like a brief example. Do you believe that you could be, uh, you move into a new house, maybe somebody died in that house prior, and you hear uh, voices? Like, do you believe that there's a being that's stuck between earth and heaven or hell and will still... Um, you know, be be hanging around. Do you believe that? I'll give you another example. From where I'm from, I'm down by Villisca, the mm-hmm. Axe Murder House. Do you yeah. believe that these children who were murdered are still lingering around this house talking to people? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I can't tell you what the Bible says. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, Saul in, in in the Old Testament, Saul is king of Israel, confront, uh, encounters the wicked witch of Endor as a seance, you know, to contact the spirit of Samuel, the prophet, and so forth, passed on. So you have a biblical example of that, and so forth. You have the stories of Jesus' resurrection, where he's popping in and popping out on the road to Emmaus and the upper room and so forth. He's appears and he doesn't appear. And we have stories how the uh, uh, how the, the, the saints who have died before him are coming from the graves and so forth. Um we have a story in, in, in Hebrews 12 of how uh, the writer of Hebrews 12, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I think we fool ourselves. Heaven is not up there somewhere millennial miles into the air. I think heaven is another dimension that surrounds us every day. And I, and I think there's strong biblical evidence that sometimes that curtain is pulled back and that those who've died before us can see us and contact us and connect with us. Obviously, I think it's by God's will. Usually. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's interesting. I was going to ask now, you about now that. Now, are some people caught in between this world and the next? Um, could be. I don't know. I do, I do know as a pastor, I've had too many stories of people telling me how they felt the presence of a loved one, how rocking chairs moved, how they felt a brush across their hand, how they felt the presence of a loved one nearby. Um yeah, and, I, I mean, I can tell you multiple stories of where this has happened and how sometimes, and, I, and, and psychologists tell this happens more often, it happens more often than children than as adults. Because adults, we, we raise the curtain up stronger for the, how this cannot happen. Whereas children, I mean, I've had parishioners tell me stories and little children tell me stories how they saw a grandparent that they'd never seen before or, you know, or a, a deceased uh, sibling or something. So... Um, I'm not quick to discount it because I've heard too many people that I know are saying, <laughs> have, sto- have told me, have told me stories that, um, that's where I'm at with it. Like I've never had an experience. Um, do I, do I believe it's, you know, a slasher movie kind of stuff? No, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I don't believe in that kind of thing, but I do believe that, that there's something, uh, immortal called the soul. And that is the essence of that God is, of life that God has blown into each of us, each of us. And when our physical bodies die, the, the soul is not destroyed. It transitions, and how that transition takes place, and where it goes, and all those things. Um, the Bible speaks some about it, but not a lot, because the emphasis of our living is not living for the hereafter. The emphasis of our living is for living right now. And if we live well now, then the hereafter takes takes care of itself. So the um the, these people who claim to, you know, maybe be in a car wreck and they see heaven, but then they're, they recover and they, they don't die. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, you know, you read about it. I read a book, a book I got at Walmart like 15 years ago. 15 years ago, I was, man, I was searching for everything at that yeah. point, about 2005. Uh, do you think that, that but that's kind of what you're talking about, right? When... Because there well, was one guy who claims he saw hell. 
Yeah, for, I've, I've read those stories, the screaming yeah. of hell and everything else, and you know all those things. Kind of, I mean, I'll just speak personally. I, my brother, sister, and brother-in-law were killed in a car track accident when I was a junior at Iowa State. Um, and I had an out-of-body experience uh, that evening of seeing my brother and sister, brother-in-law wow. in heaven. Um, you know, and so for me, I can't discuss the, the real, the realness of that experience was so vivid hmm. that I can't just discount it as I wasn't asleep. I was wide awake. I mean, you know, we were, we were praying with the pastor and so forth at the time. Um, so yeah, I think that, I think the, I think the veil between this world and the next is, is much thinner than we think. I think that our loved ones are surrounding us all the time. Um, cheering us on as Hebrews 12 talks about it. There's this great cloud of witnesses. We're on the football field playing the field, playing the game. They're in the stands. No COVID problems at all. <laughs> they're in the stands cheering <laughs> they're, us they're on. They're not wearing masks. Yeah, they're not. They don't have masks or anything like that. Um, you know, uh, so I, I, I believe that veil is very thin. Yeah, I just, the way I come down to it, I kind of like your comment on like how arrogant are we to think that we're alone. My thing is to, to discount it completely. And again, I've never had an experience, but I, I know enough people who are close to me who have, and I don't think that they're full of it. it, it who are we also to call them all liars or say that they're all making this stuff up? Yeah, and, and, I, and I, don't, you know, I, I don't go to the extent of, of, you know, the movie Ghost and, you know, all those Demi Moore and all those things. I don't think ghosts are out to get us. So you don't think that like or the, the or the, the what was the I see dead people wasn't it even oh yeah the six cents six cents yeah and, you know I don't uh, I don't necessarily I don't think I wonder what that kid's doing these days <laughs> yeah, I don't know <laughs> uh, but I, I think it's one of those I don't think we need to be walk around afraid of ghosts I'm not afraid to go to cemeteries I'm not afraid to go, to sleep overnight in the house in Villisca, you know, so forth. Um, we should do that. That'd be a great podcast. I we could that, just record it. I think that would be interesting to see. Yeah. We yeah. could take our Bibles and we could test everything. Yeah. You know? Bibles and uh, garlic and <laughs> yeah. a few other things. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crucifixes. But, you know, I, I don't think we need to be walking around afraid of ghosts. I just think that sometimes, well, I mean, as a pastor, I've had people tell, uh, people, uh, spouses feel so lonely and distraught and don't know which way to turn. And then, and then, suddenly feel the presence of their loved one or see something of their loved one or something. And I think sometimes that's a gift that God gives. In those contexts, I think it's a gift that God gives. People in grief just say, it's okay. You know, you will be okay. You're not alone. And how comforting that is for these individuals to have had that, that experience. Okay, so uh, to wrap things up, I want to kind of go full circle back to where we started. Okay. So I was talking about how this just seems like it's the most tumultuous time of my life. Like if you just, you know, we've got this worldwide pandemic, we've got the black lives matter thing, the movement that's just taking over. I mean, every night um, we have the actions of the president to put it mildly. Yeah. World trade wars, global warming. Yes. The whole immigration stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just everything. It seems it's a lot. Like, do you ever, look around and be like, okay, um, this might be revelation. This might be on the end of times. Yeah. Do you ever think about that? It might be, but I mean, I used to for, I'm a very anxious guy, uh, medicated for anxiety. I'm very open about it. When I was a kid, I would stay up at night worrying about that. I had a bad experience with another pastor one time, a oh. uh, very, very concerned. It was not my church that I grew up in. I was going to Bible school somewhere else. But someone who tried to scare you into hell. He did. Yeah. He told me, um, I, cause I'm obviously a very deep thinker. And I asked this pastor, I said, well, like about heaven and hell. And this guy, um, basically told me he thinks that like 2% of humans go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And I automatically was like, Oh, I'm going to hell. And um, this guy also was a believer that the end of times were near and I, I, it, you know, I freaked out and I thought about it all the time. I don't anymore, but like, do you ever look around and be like, Oh man, this could be it. <laughs> do you well, ever do that? You know, G- Jesus says in, in Mark 13, he says it in all three of the go- uh, synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark and Luke, uh, synoptic meaning they share some texts in common. He says in, in, in Mark 13 that, uh, no one knows when the end of time will be. Not even the son, only the father knows. So uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a big waste of time <laughs> to spend a lot of time 
you know, trying to figure out, all, you know, all these maps and graphs and everything else that someone could about. Oh, it, yeah, because all the, the Mayan calendars. Yeah, you know, who's the seven-headed beast and all those. The year 2000, do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you, know, you know, if Jesus says he, in, in his life on this earth, not even he knew, then, I, then I'm, it's rather presumptuous to somehow think that I could be smarter than Jesus. <laughs> and, you know, no. So I think, again, that's why, why I made the statement earlier. I don't think the part of our living here and now is is to, is to prepare our way for heaven. I think our part our point here here now is to live well now. Mm. If I believe in Jesus today and strive to follow Him in His teaching in my life and so forth with other people and so forth, I think tomorrow will take care of itself. Um, this idea that I'm going to put all my, my eggs in the proverbial basket of tomorrow and, and not be living well today, I, I think is missing the point. Um, even, the, even books like the book of Revelation were in large part written to Christians who are in severe persecution to give them hope for today. Not so much it, the second tier message is to be a roadmap for the tomorrow, but the primary message of Revelation in most books of Apocalypse um, is to give people hope for today. So let's let's live today well, and you know. <laughs> so and, every time there's a hurricane, I shouldn't start like looking around, like storing like canned foods. If, I, if we went in your basement, we got a bomb shelter kind of. <laughs> no, I'm really not that guy. Yeah. I promise. Well, but. Yeah, I, I I know some people are. You know, I do too. You need. To, I have family to, members <laughs> like that. You need to be practical, I guess. You know, it would have been nice to store up some toilet paper. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I don't even understand that one at all. But uh, everybody but, went and bought toilet paper and guns, yeah, yeah. And, and alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like it was those three things. Dangerous combination, isn't it? <laughs> okay. yeah, I don't know where that's leading to, but yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I can understand the guns to some degree, and maybe the the alcohol. But the toilet paper, yeah, yeah. Of all things that I worry about in the end of time, toilet paper wouldn't be. Yeah, yeah it's but, just just take uh, me. But uh, you know, but you know, so you know, it's it's. The, Jesus says in the Gospels, you will, there will always be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and so on and so forth. But no one, you know. So I think it's just the time we live in. I think the key for me right now is because we live in a turbulent time. There's no question about that. Domestically, politically, foreign relations and economically, all sorts of things and so forth. I think the key is how are we going to respond to it? And are we going to take this, what's happening right now as an opportunity to do the work of God in our lives to make transitions, to make changes, to, to become what we haven't been and do it better? Um, or are we going to just hunker down in our bunker and hopefully the, the, the apocalypse flies over or something like that? So you just answered my question, which was really the whole reason why I wanted to bring you in here today. So it's probably um, a guy in my situation, probably not best to just quit going to church. That's not the best thing to do here. That's not the right thing to do right now, I, I, even with all my questions. I believe with, with you know, traditional catechisms that say we were created to worship God. Yeah. The word worship from the old English is a combination of two words, worth and ship. A ship conveys something, and what worship does is it conveys worth. When we were made to worship, if we don't worship God, we will worship other things. And that's the problem that people are worshiping things other than God. It's only when we worship God that we discover our real meaning and our real purpose, that we're children of God and that we were created to live with God and with each other um, in a wholeness of, of relationship. Um, I, don't think, I don't think we, without an active life and community of worship, I don't think, I think that's hard to do. I'm struck by the fact that for 400 years in the Old Testament, um, from the time of Joseph the patriarch to Moses, while, the, while the, the Hebrews were in Egypt, first as guests and then as slaves and so forth, they had no churches, no synagogues, no temples, no nothing. But for 400 years, they kept this seed alive of this idea about God, Yahweh, and, uh, and that they belonged to him. Well, how did that happen? It was because people were worshiping in their homes yeah. and being taught the faith and holding on for hope for 400 years. I think that's a profound statement that what gives people hope and purpose and direction, even in the midst of persecution and slavery, is this idea of God in their life that they share with each other. That's what happens when we worship together, whether it be in formal 
Sunday morning in pews and, yeah. cho- and, and chairs or, or in our family devotional time or whatever else. But worship, worshiping God is critical for our mental and, and, and spiritual well-being. I think that's a good way to end it. Well, thank you. I didn't put you on the spot too much, did I? No, it's been a joy. Let's do it again. Okay. Would you Would you be open to that? Maybe. Sure. sure. After you get the backlash from all your your listeners, we'll see if we can no, correct, correct a few things. You know what? I think that they'll appreciate it, even if they don't agree with everything. That yeah. I mean, you, th- this is what it's all about. I wanted to create this platform to yeah. kind of just live my life. I mean, I'm a very flawed individual. We yeah. all are. We all are, yeah. But let's talk about it and try and make yeah, because Try it's only help. in the exchange of the ideas and thoughts that we all begin to get a sense of, well, we all begin to grow. Um, because I, didn't, I hadn't thought about that. You know, you know, I'm glad you shared that. You know, just learning from each other. and We should start a Pastor Hibben podcast. Yeah, well, <laughs> Let me know if you're bored. Yeah, well, we'll, have, well we may have one listener. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll, we'll get it out there, I promise. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Bruce and Chris. Appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I know that I certainly did. Uh, again, thanks to Pastor Scott Hibben for his time with us today on the Chris Williams podcast. If you guys like what you hear, uh, you can certainly uh, do me a solid and rate and review. Hopefully you give us good ratings, obviously. Uh, but we will, uh, we're going to try and make this more regular in the future, too. It's just been so busy with a lot of stuff going on. Just the world is just so nuts right now. Um, no daycare. You're just trying to It just kind of feel like you're in survival mode constantly. And I know that you all feel the same way. So, um, again, I'll try and make this more regular. I actually have some interesting guests coming up here over the next couple of weeks. So thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week.